All right. Let's make this real. What's up, everybody? Oh. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of All Out War. I'm Turner, and I'm in the studio with Rosie. What's up, Rosie? What's up, man? You totally caught... Did you start off the recording with I, the... It, what did you say? Let's make this real. Let's make this real. Did you, you, yeah, I think I might have hit it. We'll have to see. I don't uh, know. <laughs> I need to keep that computer within arm's reach from now on. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> we're episode 139, dude. We are... Wow. Wa- we're working through these numbers. We but are. We, um, anyways, what do you know, bud? Hey, did you know that they caught a leprechaun and that was... <laughs> <laughs> the leprechaun sketch. <laughs> My new goal is to uh, try to make you la- lose your crap at the beginning of a show. It's a sketch, dude. It's like a, a second grader could have drawn that. It doesn't even have a nose. No, it's just le- two big black eyes. Hey, did you know that leprechauns don't have noses when they show up in Mobile, Alabama? <laughs> I guess not. Guess not. Uh, Sorry. Are you going to tell them the background of this? <laughs> no, you can find it. Leprechauns in the hood. Leprechauns in the hood. But in hey, the- did you know that <laughs> in an effort to keep morale high for World War II troops fighting in the Pacific, the British built a floating brewery nice. and dispatched it to the South Seas. <laughs> it was uh, it was called the HMS. Do you know what HMS stands for? Um, I do. It's uh, hold on, Mar- something maritime. Maritime. Uh, oh shoot! I used to know exactly because it was uh, the HMS Titanic or whatever. And uh, no, you're gonna have to tell me. I can't remember. I used to know this. Uh, I'm pretty sure it stands for Her Majesty's His Majesty's oh. Ship. Oh, okay, never mind. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I I know so much that I've forgotten what I've know. That's, that's I'm gonna start using that as well. Yeah, you should. Uh, like when you ask me basic math problems, you're like, God, <laughs> I, I can't remember that. I, I got so much other stuff. Let me tell <laughs> you about uh, way the more. floating brewery okay. of World War II. Anyway, well, it was called uh, the HMS Menestesius. Menestesius. M E N E S T H E U S. Wow. It was a blue funnel liner launched in 1929. Which is really interesting. It said, uh, so originally it was laying mines, mm. and then they repurposed it. Uh, so it says, while mine laying was complete in October 1943, uh, she, the tank, uh, the tank, the, the the ship, the ship was retained for conversion to an amenity ship as part of a mobile naval base for the uh, British Pacific Fleet. She went... Uh, Underwent further conversion. Uh oh. <laughs> she became Maybe, a he. <laughs> yeah. Uh, at Vancouver, 1944, including the installation of a movie theater. Oh wow. And a canteen. Um, and it said it, part of that was also uh, they made a brewery to make beer for shipboard consumption. Cool. And uh, it said the English mild ale was so- sold at ninety nine D. Letter D. I don't know what that. Okay. Pence or something, whatever. Yeah. British numbers. Not a pound. No. Yeah. Uh, per pint on quote the world's only floating brewery in the ship's Davy Jones bar. That's pretty cool. I like the name of the bar too. Yeah. Davy so. Jones. I mean, that's exactly what sailors need. They need alcohol. Yeah. When they have been at sea for that long. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's like. Uh. Yeah. 
Especially when you're fighting in the Pacific during wartime. Yeah. I mean, I'd probably want some some uh, alcohol too. You know, it's funny. That reminds me. Um, one time I had a – we someone got mad at a, a Christian that gets uptight about things real easy. Yeah. Got upset because um, a bunch of people that, I, that we knew went and saw a movie and it had like the most – at that time, it had like the most f bombs like in a movie. Do you remember uh, what movie it was? Yeah, it was um, it, South Park. No, no, <laughs> no. It was a war movie. It was um, about uh, what's his name, the sniper guy. Um, oh, American Sniper. American Chris Sniper. Chris Kyle. Yeah, I think that's what. Where they got the, him and his team got kind of trapped or whatever. Is that what it was? Is that no? The one? Oh, oh, I know what you're talking about. Uh, I can't think of the name of it. It had Wahlberg in it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyways. Apparently that, and I and I just argued to the point, like I didn't go to the movie, so I like I didn't have a like a, a dog in the fight or yeah. whatever. But I was like, I think if I was at war and in those situations, because I have seen that movie since then, yeah, um, I probably would be using the f bomb. Yeah. I, I don't think I don't think that would that would be like the last of my you know mind and what I would be worried about. Yeah, I mean, when you got to think about. Um, well, nowadays, uh, I was going to say, at least back in the day, back before the last four years or whatever, <laughs> they were mostly men who were like tough, you know, like... You, well, you those guys the... in particular, they were like seals or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, um, I can't remember the name. It's going to bother me too. I know. Yeah, those, the seals. Um, I think they were seals. And uh, yeah, like it, I think... Uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't want to like go out on a limb and offend anyone because I've never served. Yeah. But I think if I was next to, like, if I'm in a foxhole or something like yeah, that, yeah, yeah. and all of a sudden the guy next to me is like, "Oh, jeepers creepers! This is scary! <laughs> oh, shucks! Oh, you know, like, darn it! Oh, dag nabbit! I just missed him! Darn oh, it! Oh, shoot! Or like, yeah. oh, gee willikers! I wonder if they're over there. Like that dude, I would not <laughs> trust him. You know what I mean? Like bullets are flying. You know, like stuff like that. I would not trust that guy. And I I would also probably turn him in because I'm like, this dude is definitely going to commit war crimes. Like that is the kind of guy. He'll get captured and give it up. He's skinning puppies like on the side. I guarantee you he's going in and doing all the terrible stuff. The, The guys that, yeah, like, oh, if someone says G Willikers or something like that. Right, right, yeah. They're killing I mean, small I don't, animals. What are in they the supposed basement? to say, right? Like, what are they supposed to say in the movie? Like, yeah. you're gonna say what reality was, you know? Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's just so dumb. Yeah, it made me laugh. I couldn't. Yeah. Anyways, um, yeah, Kirsten's cool is basically what we're saying. Hell yeah, Kirsten's cool, mother beep. <laughs> <laughs> How are you, baby? <laughs> but it, you know, if you really want a good fighter, call a crackhead. <laughs> You're just trying to get that in. <laughs> trying to get it in, get it in. Uh, All right. Well, sit back, grab a coffee, and enjoy. We have a really, really cool episode coming from. You're listening to the All Out War Podcast. <laughs> there's always that little giggle because when we when we mute for the intro there's always something going on yeah we record it like usually when it's just us live through it almost every episode's like that 
Yeah, I mean, especially when we have a, I mean, when we have a guest, I mean, from the intro to playing the music, like we're sitting at the same desk and then you're hitting a button and muting our mics. And then we're saying something within the, during the intro, 45 seconds or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's why sometimes they catch us, catch us sipping, catch us (laughs) slipping, catch us, catch me ripping, ripping. Yeah. (laughs) Slipping, ripping, (laughs) sipping. Sipping. (laughs) Uh, that's, that's like, here's a little behind the curtain. Yeah. There's very little editing to our podcast. There's no real editing. Not at all. Like we hit, when we hit record, there's, I think only maybe once or twice we've had to go back and do some doctoring, but very little. And that was only because like uh, a call got dropped. Yeah. And then, so there's four minutes of us going, can you hear us? I don't think he's there. (laughs) Wait, can you, can you? Oh, he's back? No. Nope. No. Nope. I know. Okay. Then they'd come back and they'd be like, <laughs> Sorry, I don't know what's on my internet. It's my connection. <laughs> um, well, yeah. So this is an episode that people, uh, they've obviously read the title. Yes. And I'm assuming whatever, the, we haven't written the title yet either. So <laughs> I'm assuming if we just go by. The working title. Would the be... working title. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's probably, you know gonna piss some people off <laughs> well I, this is the thing and like you did the, you, on the telegram if you guys aren't following us on telegram please go to the telegram we have <clears throat> just look up all out war and it's there so you can find it um but uh on the telegram you well I, okay so i guess we should should we say it? you want to talk about it like the sure the number like not the actual numbers but the numbers yeah, that, yeah sure so i noticed that when we had rl solberg on and this is something that was interesting. I, I mentioned this to uh, to Rosie. I, I don't know if was it private or I don't know. Yeah, I think so. But um, basically, the numbers after we did the Torahism podcast episode, which is amazing, by the way. Yeah, it's really it so really good. good. Um, it, our numbers dropped by like like we lost like two hundred Instagram followers, and we the numbers of the downloads on the actual episodes went down a little bit with that one, which was really sad. Yeah. But it actually, it clued me into something because I think that um, I, what I realized was that we were hitting on something that people were like, I I had suspicions. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons I wanted to do an episode on that was because of some Instagram uh, interactions I had with a couple different people actually. And um, if you listen to the episode, I kind of talk about it a little bit, but it clued me in that there was some we were there was some aspect of our audience that was not right theologically, and so I wanted to kind of address that. And when they left, I was like, "Wow, you're vindicated." Yeah, I, I think I was vindicated. It's sad. I would prefer that they would stay, yeah, and adjust their theology, not to match my theology, because this wasn't about me, right? Because if I was wrong, I was willing to embrace that and move forward yeah i think we've been pretty transparent and there's been things where we've come around yeah like if you listen to straight through the podcast like yeah there's positions or things we might have talked about where (laughs) i did a whole devotional on isaiah about not everything's a conspiracy when covid first came out (laughs) (laughs) i almost want to take it down but it's not a it's not a bad bible study yeah yeah but i yeah if i might say so myself but um 
but yeah, I mean, we'll admit when we're wrong, but I'm not going to admit heresy. Like, I'm not going to accept heresy. Yeah. And that was what we were trying to counteract. Anyways, and not everybody that left was heresy. Sometimes they just they don't get us. They don't like us. They don't. They liked us for a season. They get tired of us. I mean, geez. I, I get of, tired of myself. Think of my poor wife. She's yeah. been married to me for 26 years. Yeah. How does she do it? I know. That's why I'm still single. Like, I talk <laughs> too much. Apparently, or something. I don't, I don't think so. Yeah, I'm just kidding. Anyways, so tonight is another one of those episodes where, much like the Torahism, we're gonna we're gonna like hit a sacred cow. I think. Yeah. With with the whole group of people, and if you're in this camp, I just want to say, hear us out, listen to what we have to say, because we're not we're not doing this to we, our motive is truth and integrity and orthodoxy. When I say orthodoxy, I don't mean becoming orthodox. I mean orthodoxy, like early church father beliefs. Yeah, little o orthodox. Right. What did the early church believe? And what's what's funny is like, and I, can I do a side rant? Sure. So I also, I don't know how how this will age, how well this will age, the story will age, because if you listen to this in a year from now, um, anyways, I did an Instagram story, <laughs> and I actually saved it as a reel and as a as a post as well. So it's in there. But it was basically what did the early church fathers believe about about the end times? And I posted a bunch of uh, basically three main um, church fathers and what they believed. And and then I did a summation of like combining like this is basically what they believed. It was they believed in a rapture. They believed, you know, pre-millennial, um, the, the Antichrist would you know, there'd be a third temple, like all these mm-hmm. things. And you can go check it out if it'll probably still be there. And I got I got a couple of private DMs that were not anything bad, but um, I had one guy post on there and he's like, I think you're, it's really sad that you believe Jesus is going to rapture the church, like the second coming's not. And I was like, and it was a typical re- response that you get from like a post mill or a, uh, you know, Amil, and um, I was like, "Yeah, well, the church fathers would disagree with you, but thanks for your opinion." And I was trying to be snide to make him understand that, like, I'm not going to debate you on this. Mm-hmm. And then, like, five, six, seven hours later, he comes back with a response, and he's like, "Well, Paul would, and Paul and Jesus would disagree." Right. And I'm yeah. like, "Dude, I get the." Th- the rapture theology from Paul. What are you talking right, about? And right. I, it took everything within me not to like throw back those scriptures. Mm-hmm. On. But I don't want to become, I don't want it to become a debate. Like I don't want to use our Instagram for debating. I learned, unfortunately, <laughs> the hard way debating yeah. on Twitter and Instagram. It's a useless thing. Even if you know what you're talking about, even if you are correct, you, you're, there is no winning. Yeah. Nobody wins. It just becomes an endless back and forth, back and forth. And yeah. And nobody's minds are ever changed by that. So uh, the the purpose of doing that post, that story and everything, was to help those people that do find find themselves in the pre-mill, the rapture, hoping in the rapture to soon come, that in that camp that we would find ourselves in with that end times, mm-hmm. you know, eschatology, that it would equip them and yeah. encourage them that, hey, you're not alone in this. This isn't a new theory, a new theology. This is actually what was originally, and it ended up being buried around 400 to 700 year, you know, AD. Mm-hmm. It started getting buried and changed, incidentally, mm. with the rise of certain mm. other, you know, <laughs> should we say Catholic and Calvinists and other, you know, things that came out. Yeah. And uh, I want to make a point. Um, 
that you had just said is uh, the difference maybe on a grander scale. I'm not uh, – I'm going to talk about the example that you just did about theology, but take this as a way to view the world mm-hmm. at the same time is that just because you, we want to give um, backing to or – um, uh, 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 encouragement to people that view the same stuff that right. we do. That agree with us. Right, right. Yeah. That doesn't mean that we're necessarily anti-anything else. Right. Like, And I think that's a big difference, and that's a nuance that people immediately see. Um, and I, I mean, myself included, for certain things. Of course, th- I think it's human nature to put yourself in this box. It, it's comfortable um, uh, being categorized in something because you feel a part of or whatever. And, uh, especially with things like eschatology, it is so open to interpretation that, uh, the difference between us saying that we are pre-mills or, you know, pre-mill, dispy, crazy people, you know, whatever, (laughs) um, that that doesn't mean that like we're totally crapping on someone that reads the Bible, that right. maybe works through it theologically, that is honest about reading it, and has a different interpretation on something that is not a non-salvation issue. Right. That's right. So there's room for variance. Right. Yeah. And so by us, it's one of those things like, well, obviously we're going to encourage people that believe the same things we do to equip the like. At the same time, like, is it bad to, um, I'm trying to listen to like, if you listen to a political commentator that agrees with what you're going to say, right? They may give you good debate points. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, that's something I can use to, um, not only equip myself, um, maybe when I'm in a debate, here's, this is a better way of me elaborating stuff. You know, yeah. we, that's what people do. You take things that people you right, give right. you. And at the same time, like there's nothing wrong with being encouraged in something that is being attacked. It is a thing that is attacked. And I'm, I don't want to come on a, the defense by saying like poor pre-mill dispies that like, you know, we're a victim or anything. It's not like that. But no. there's nothing wrong with like having some encouragement and that you should not take it if you disagree with us after, you know, careful research and all this stuff. You come in a different point. We're not attacking you. We're just building ourselves up or get equipping yeah. people to, hey, this isn't dumb. Right, you right. Know? Well, the other thing, too, is like when I've heard, like on this topic of this eschatology, yeah, yeah. Uh, when I've heard people talk about it, they're really, really like vicious and um, – vitriol is the word that comes to mind like almost like talking down like those idiots that believe in the rapture right what do they think exactly like and when i hear that to me i'm like whoa like i don't know if i've ever like Mm. personally i don't know if i've ever been like those those post mills like what are they like they're gonna just like what they're you know and you start ragging on them as if you are the you have the supreme knowledge on this and my whole point of the early church fathers mm-hmm. was the disciples of the disciples. Like these are the disciples of the apostles. What did they believe? Right. 
they actually believed these things. And so I wanted to make that point. Now, if I would have studied that and, and came away like, oh, they were actually post-mill or mid-trib or mm-hmm. whatever, you know, they didn't have, they didn't believe in the rapture at all. Um, then I would have been like, oh, I mean, this is challenging me. Like, what have I been taught? What did I just believe? And and then I would have had to been figured out what I where I land on it. Yeah, and I think the the a, a, a important point that we should make talking about the church fathers, which is going to talk about we're yeah. we're going we're, we're digging gonna... into the post church fathers with the, the episode we're about to have. Yeah, um, <laughs> twenty minutes in. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah. But the whole point is is that there are church fathers. So my nuance is. I don't say the church fathers believed in a pre-mill, post-mill, uh, pre-mill uh, dispensation with the rapture right. because there are a lot of other church fathers who did not believe in that. And the whole thing about the church fathers is, for better or worse, you can find well, a church father. Can I challenge you on that? Sure. On for for this point of eschatology, yeah. There's not a lot of, but what there is, it's pretty concise right right, right. I, i'm just so, saying as a greater thing there is the uh refer when we make this post because there are tons of other church fathers like augustine like later right later right, right. i'm talking about the initial the guys that learned from john peter james paul like those guys that were we, we should have this this might be undermining the whole point, i don't want to go back and forth with you yeah the, it might under but later on would be like three generations like five six hundred years yeah after but the first hundred years 200 years you're going to get the guys that are that are were eyewitnesses to those that were eyewitnesses to christ that's my whole. I, when I, I, I understand early, what you're saying. I understand. Okay, 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 again, cool. I'm, I'm, maybe we should cut this part out or something. Um, no, no, it's fine. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll we have it. We'll just get into the book because I don't want to keep going back and <laughs> forth on this. Well, we'll, I'll bring it up after. But my point was just the eschatology part. No, no, I understand. And um, yeah. Okay. Agreed. Okay. I I don't know because I couldn't find a a church father that said that there would be like a post mill view on the end times. I did see some. I mean, because this is this is like right after the temple was destroyed. Yeah. So there were some people that were what we would call preterists. Yeah. Would, would lean into that, like, oh, it was all fulfilled. Right. And they thought that that um, the Roman emperor, what's his name? Uh, I can't think of his name now. Constantine. No, the one, the one that actually took tore down the temple. Sorry, um, with a T, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Anyways, they thought that he would be, right, have been right. the Antichrist and stuff like that. So, but anyways, that's all. That's yeah. all. Yeah. Yep. All right. So we're going to talk about Calvinist and, <laughs> Calvinism and Gnostics. Yeah. And, the Gnostic roots, the Gnostic origins of Calvinism. Yeah. Thank you to our good brother, Ken Johnson, by yes. the way. So you want to start? Sure. Yeah. So uh, again, that was a whole long introduction to say... That if you are a Calvinist listening, we have Calvinist friends. I probably, I, I believe certain points of Calvinism. Like, uh, you know, I don't yeah. know if I'm a two or three or a four pointer or whatever. Right. Um, but this is by no means attacking that is what we're trying to get at. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not attacking it. It's not saying you're stupid for believing it by any means. That is not, it's just... A very interesting thing that uh, might give you some food for thought. Yeah. And 
So yeah, uh, we're going to start off, we're going to go through a couple different, um, I guess, s- sections mostly. And we're working from uh, uh, one of Ken Johnson's books that is called The Gnostic Origins of Calvinism. <laughs> and so first we're going to go through uh, the Calvinist history of uh, the theology, kind of the people, the main players, and then get into some doctrinal stuff at the end. So uh, setting the stage. So first we're going to talk about the Valentinian Gnostics, which were from 20 to 200 AD. And uh, the first are two different groups, uh, the Israeli Essenes um, and, and the Egyptian Essenes, both from 20 to 20 BC to 70 AD. But uh, the Israeli Essenes, prior to the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, when the legalistic Pharisees and liberal Sadducees rose to power, a third group was formed. This group rejected the control of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. This group rejected the control the Pharisees and Sadducees had over the temple and the courts. They withdrew from their corruption. They secluded themselves in a place now known as Qumran. They produced new copies of the scriptures and commentaries and sealed them in clay jars to preserve them throughout time. Then they simply awaited the advent of the Messiah. They picked the desert of Qumran because of its dry climate, which would help preserve the scrolls for a long time. And now those are the Israeli Essenes. The Egyptian Essenes, this is what it's about, it says about them. During the same time, there arose a different kind of Essene in Egypt. While they called themselves Essenes, they differed from the Israeli Essenes in many ways. These Egyptian Essenes mixed many of the rites of magic and paganism into a Jewish context. Like most who deny the resurrection of the physical body, these Egyptian Essenes ended up believing in reincarnation, evolution, and predestination based on the doctrine of emanations. Many historians have suggested these doctrines were adopted from the Hindu religion Mm -hmm. and caste system. And this is a quote from Josephus talking about these Egyptian Essenes. Quote, they abstained from wine, were vegetarians, were very, I always mess this up, aesthetic, um, Mm -hmm. meaning they uh, gave up things like fasting and those kind of things. Denied the bodily resurrection, kept the names of angels, learned the quality of roots and stones. They had their own special form of exorcism, had books on charms and magic, interpreted dreams. They had sunrise prayers, which means literally prayers for or to the sun, not waking up early, in the manner, the same manner as the therapeute. Yeah. So those two different groups of Essenes, one were good and one were Gnostic. Right. And the the Essenes, the, you might recognize that term. It's where we get our Dead Sea Scrolls. They were mm-hmm. the ones that, the ones in Qumran, the Israeli Essenes were the ones that were. And uh, I think Ken said that the Essenes that were in Qumran looked at the Pharisees and the Sadducees both as um, heretical mm-hmm. and that they that's why they withdrew because right. they didn't want to be a, a part of that system that they had created, the legalism and the... And what what was it? The Sadducees were uh, the liberals. The liberals, yeah, yeah. So basically, the kind of way that uh, I view them is like uh, you have the Essenes. Those Israeli Essenes are basically the ones who were proto-Christians, almost in a sense, mm-hmm. because they were the ones again awaiting the Messiah in a biblical way. Were and Ken talked about this. 
were actually doing a lot of, uh, had a lot of Christian beliefs, like believed in the Trinity, you know, like things like that of reading their Bibles. Yeah. And so if you kind of, I think of the corrupted Judaism of the Old Testament, you know, when obviously the ones that Jesus rebuked were the Sadducees and the uh, Pharisees. So that's kind of a branch that split off and were not orthodox to, you know, the beliefs that were passed through the Tanakh, you know, like the, uh, well, they started getting weird with it. And the Israeli Essenes were the ones that were really the true, like true Jews because they were looking forward and then they became Christians. Yeah. Yep. So they were the ones that were like consistent throughout time. Yeah. Yeah. They believed the prophecies. They right. they, they knew the signs to look for. Yeah. For the Messiah uh, to come. Yeah. They're kind of cool to look up to. Yeah. And a lot of them abandoned becoming an Essene or being in a scene when Jesus came. And right. They became followers of Christ. They exactly. became Christians. So do you want me to pick yeah. up? Yeah. Uh, so now we're going to move on to a guy by the name of Simon Magus. Ancient, and he was AD 10 to 65. Ancient church father Clement wrote of wrote in Recognitions of Clement 2.5 through 16, that there was a Samaritan named Simon from the village of Githa who became a disciple of John the Baptist. John had started his public ministry and was baptizing in the Jordan River, teaching people to repent of their sins and await the coming of Messiah. Simon became bored with the laws and the prophecies of Scripture, and he had, he had heard of another group of Essenes in Egypt. They were not simply waiting for Messiah, but were experiencing great signs and wonders now. So Simon left the fellowship and headed for Egypt. When Simon was gone, the Messiah appeared, fulfilling the prophecies. John John was beheaded, and some of John's disciples became followers of Jesus of Nazareth, the the Messiah. The Messiah was crucified, resurrected, ascended, and the church was born. After approximately three years, Simon returned to Israel. He first appeared in Samaria, and he had been thoroughly corrupted by the Egyptian Essenes. He had called himself the the standing one, a term that among the Egyptian Essenes meant a being from a higher plane of existence who takes on the pseudo-physical form in order to lead humans to their true path, Godhead. He believed that the God of the Old Testament and the Messiah prophesied in Daniel 9 were simply two of over 30 pure gods and goddesses called Aeons. Uh, You want me to keep reading? Simon returned to his village and convinced many there to worship him by using his bag of magic tricks. It even went so far that they created a statue of him inscribed to Simon the Standing One and set it up in Samaria. After he, fleed, after he fleeced enough of them, he heard that some of John's disciples were not sure about this Messiah, Jesus, but were continuing to study the scriptures themselves. Led by a man named Dostherius, Simon met with them, but, when they, but they rejected everything Simon had become. Some of these disciples of John later became, came to believe that Jesus was indeed the Messiah prophesied in Daniel 9. We see them in Acts chapter 19, verse 7, preaching Jesus, but they had never heard about the coming of the Holy Spirit, and they were baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit and continued in their ministry. At this point, Simon decided to seek out the apostle, the apostles. Luke describes it in this way, and this is where some of you guys might 
recognize Simon. Mm-hmm. And in, Luke, in Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 11, but there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was one was was some great one to whom they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest, saying, "This man is the great power of God." And to him they had regard, because that long time, because that of long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. Again, that's Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 11 in the New King James. Never forget. Never forget. (laughs) You want to pick it up? The scripture teaches that this Simon did not repent of his sins and become a Christian, but instead saw the miracles that the apostles could perform and sought to buy this power from them with a large sum of money. This means he fully intended to continue to practice his sorcery and add to it, if possible, whatever it was that the apostles were doing. This would then make him an either even greater, quote, God in the minds of the people he deceived. And uh, Acts talks about this as well. And when Simon, I'm quoting from Acts now. And when Simon saw that the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money saying, give me this power also that anyone who on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, your money... Your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Mm-hmm. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. From Acts eight eighteen through 23. Ancient church father Irenaeus described Simon Magus not only as a father of the Gnostic cults, but as a practitioner of sorcery by his use of magic and demons in dreams. He also twisted scripture scripture to to meet his own ends. So this is a quote from Irenaeus. Simon called Magus used exorcisms and incantations, love potions, I kind of want to know about those, and and charms, as well as those beings who are called paridia, familiars, and honorapompi, the dream senders. Hmm. And here's Hippolytus talking about him as well. He, Simon Magus, allegorized much scripture to support his teachings, especially Genesis. <clears throat> and then, that's interesting, right? That uh, this e- Gnostic Egyptian Essene Simon would mm-hmm. allegorize prophecy. Yeah, as hmm, someone sounds... another church father seems to do later on. Yeah, maybe familiar. we'll talk about. Maybe we'll get to him. Yeah. <laughs> Keep listening. <laughs> Simon continued to oppose Christianity until his death. The death of Simon Magus did not end his madness. It only started a demonic movement that would be a thorn in the side of true Christianity for centuries. Hmm. So here's um, one of this guy's teachings. Creator angels. Simon's fascination with Genesis spread to the other Gnostics as well. They believed that Genesis 6 accounted the sons of God descending to earth were angels. And again, before we get into this, just because someone does have the same view, because that is what it is. Like, so... I just want people, just because this guy also believed it, yeah. or is we don't even know if he believed it, but he this is what he promoted, does not make it wrong. Yeah. 
I just wanted to say that. <laughs> they taught that these angels taught sorcery to men and that this was a good thing. That's the key difference yeah, yep. is the view that, of it. That's it, yep. Uh, we would view it as that would be a bad thing. Right. Simon called himself the standing one, but one of his disciples, Saturnius, <laughs> Saturnius, sorry, actually taught that he was one of those creator angels Whoa. from Genesis. So he like six. elevated them. Yeah. Notice that the modern cult of Jehovah's Witnesses still teaches that Jesus was a creator angel. What we know about the Gnostics came mainly from the church fathers Irenaeus and Hippolytus until the discovery of a Gnostic library in Nag Hammadi, Egypt in 1945. The contents of this library confirm what the church fathers stated had been the current Gnostic belief system. All right. Want to jump into some Gnostic beliefs? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Gnostic belief. Gnosticism taught that there were 30 aeons or gods that existed in the in the Pleroma, outside time and space. The goddess Sophia created the Demiurge, a creator angel, the god of the Old Testament, who was a tyrant, and being unaware of the aeons thought he was the only god. He created man, but Sophia gave man a spirit. Some may be saved if they do enough good works, but some are predestined make note of that word, to hell. Gnostics have spirits that are emanations from Sophia. This makes them predestined to be saved. It is, impo- it is imposable for them to, impossible, there's a typo actually, uh, for, them to be sa- to, for them to lose their salvation. So let me read that again. Gnostics have spirits that are emanations from Sophia. This makes them predestined to be saved. It is impossible for them to lose their salvation. It does not matter if their behavior is good or evil. The most perfect of them addict themselves to evil deeds and are in a habit of defiling the women they convert. Eventually, all matter will be destroyed since matter is evil and not capable of salvation. They utterly they utter mantras to affect nature. The demiurge created Adam and Eve and enslaved them. Sophia sent a creator angel in the form of a serpent into the Garden of Eden to free Eve and Adam. By eating from the tree, they attained true gnosis and were set free. Sophia saved Noah from the flood sent by the evil demiurge. Man, that's like some major twisting of Genesis. Yeah. I mean, every single thing. And this is right. the Gnostic belief. That is a really good, concise um, definition of their beliefs. And you can still see that playing out into nowadays, like yeah. stuff people are talking about when you um, – when people are talking about uh, you know, the evil god of the Old Testament is only one of these or right. – um, I don't even like the idea when people say that there's an, a, the God of the Old Testament right. different than the New Testament. That's all Gnosticism. Like yeah. th- that's what they're digging at underneath, even if they don't know or even what they're talking it. about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that's what they're getting at is that because if there's you know two different gods, well, if your theology is, is right decent, it's going to be really hard for you to like right. explain yeah. that to some right. like. In your mind, you're going to have a hard time explaining two different gods. Right. Like, oh, well, the Old Testament was the father, but Jesus is the loving one. And you start getting into these weird hermeneutics and things that are just not even... Right. They're, they're not going to work. Yeah. They break down. All right. Yeah. So uh, the father of church history, 
Eusebius mentions John Mark came to Alexandria in Egypt and established the first church there. As it began to grow, persecutions came and Mark was killed by pagans. Hmm. Shortly thereafter, some of the Egyptians' Essenes mixed with strict mixed strict Christian doctrine with their Jewish slash pagan rites. These Gnostics called themselves the Therapeute. <laughs> and uh, I'll quote from Eusebius about this. They took the concept of celibate orders of monks and nuns from the Greek and Roman pagan practices of the Vestal Virgins. They had sunrise prayers, again, prayers to the sun, which may have been patterned after the Egyptian Essenes. Hmm. The therapeute became, be, began to infiltrate the Alexandrian church. In time, a godly, name, name, a godly man named Paten, Pateneus hmm. took over the church and formed a school teaching the gospel, sending out missionaries, and reproducing the scriptures. Man, he, he was wearing the pants. He was. Pateneus. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> Sorry. No, it was good. Everything seemed to be going well until Pat Pantanaeus <laughs> quit the school and moved up into the mountains. Clement of Alexandria was sent to replace him, but something disturbed Clement, Clement uh, greatly about the whole situation in Egypt. He refused to take over the school until he talked with Pateneus himself, who at the time was secluded up in the mountains, refusing to see or speak with anyone. We do not know anything about the actual conversation between Clement and Pateneus, but an explanation was given that put Clement, Clement's heart to rest. Hmm. However, we can see through Clement's writings that he was orthodox, except for statements he made about Jesus' return occurring at the destruction of the Jewish temple in AD oh, 70. what? I was just talking about that. Yeah, no one's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> All other church fathers up until Clement's time and beyond were clearly pre-millennial in their eschatology. Oh, heck yeah, baby. Irenaeus, no, it's all right. Irenaeus even stated that if anyone teaches otherwise, then they are an immature Christian and should not be listened to. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. <laughs> so if, <laughs> if you don't, if you're not a pre-millennial Christian in your eschatology, then you're, you are, you're immature and should not be listened to. I love that. I'm going to, we should put that on a shirt. We'll do it. Let's, Let's do done, it. Done. That's a shirt. I mean, and there's no copyright. He's been dead for millennia. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Uh, so in Clement's mind and those of Alexandria, the prophecies were already fulfilled and the church had replaced Israel. Mm. Those ideas came back into Christianity later as the doctrines of replacement theology and amillennialism. Oh, dang. Shots fired. Shots fired. Well, we, we definitely do not, we do not adhere to replacement theology as our views of eschatology. Do you want me to go? Yeah. Okay. Two major schools have developed by, had developed by 150 AD, the former, or the followers of Valentius and the followers of Basil Basilides. Basilides taught that men could, a man could grow up and be sinless all of his life, born without original sin. He taught that saving faith was intellectual assent all humans were born with the ability to be sinless, Pelagianism. After baptism, God forgives involuntary sins, but believers must pay for all voluntary sins in order to be purged from the penance, purgatory, cardinal, and venial sins. Valentius said, Saving faith, faith comes from your spirit. If you are one of the chosen men are born saved, and some of 
and and some are not predestined to be saved but are predestined for hell the rest might be saved through works only those whose spirits are emanation from sophia are predestined to be saved all others are predestined to hell double predestination and those predestined for salvation do not need to practice good works so we can see that affirming predestination based on emanation double predestination denying original sin and denying the need for holiness are all gnostic ideas that paul would classify as a doctrine of demons which we have a series called doctrine of demons you might want to listen to it we might be adding to that coming yeah, up soon that's right when we when they are called phrygians uh Novatians, Valentians, uh, Marcionites, and Anthropians, uh, and Arians, they have ceased to be Christians. That's from Lactanius Divine Institutes 430. Mm -hmm. So basically he's saying if you're, you know, anyways. He's calling out all those groups that had those beliefs. That's right. He's saying you're not a Christian. Yeah, those Latin and Roman words are. They're killing me. They kill me too, yeah. I don't know what's worth these uh, Greek, Latin, all the, these kind of words, or like the trying to pronounce the Jewish words, like oh. <laughs> in the book. Like I can't. I'm bad. I'm bad with my pronunciations. Yeah. Yeah. Try I Russian. Think, yeah. No, I can't even do that. It's bad. I think part of it is because I did. Uh, I grew up overseas, so like my pronunciation <laughs> is different from a normal American because I have some european schooling so i pronounce some words that way i do you write different like when you write the word color do you write C? no i'm not a do you put communist. a u in it no okay. <laughs> no i'm straight i favor I, I'm, I'm not straight i don't add a u you're not canadian no <laughs> never that's uh, for our canadian listeners which yeah, we love we love all you tremendously yes so let's get into the next series okay section is uh augustine the manage Manichaeans and Pelagius. Pelagius. Counting from... You know, I was called a semi-Pelagian one time by a Calvinist. Yeah? Yeah. We'll see what, what he means by that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and those were from AD 216 to 430. All right. With the demise of most of the factions of the Gnostics by the mid-2nd century, the two main schools left were the Valentinian Gnostics, or the Calvinistic Gnostics, and the Basili- Basilidian Gnostics or the Pelagian Gnostics. By the mid third century, the Basil Basilidian. I I can I hear myself saying it, and I know it's incorrect. Why don't we just call them Pelagian Gnostics? It's easier there you to go. say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so by the mid third century, the Pelagian Gnostics had all but died out, and the Calvinistic Gnostics were growing fewer in number, except in their stronghold in the mountains of Egypt. Mm. They had all been forgotten by the church until AD. 216, when a man named Manny was born. <laughs> he studied all the major philosophies, then a jur- emerged on the scene declaring that he was a prophet of God. So this guy, Manny, started Manichaeism. Manichaeism. I am not good Manichism. tonight. Manichaeism. Yeah. About two... Uh, 252 AD, Manny formed a sect called the Manichaeans. They mixed Christianity with uh, Calvinistic Gnosticism and other Persian elements. He stated his teaching came from Christ and the Persian Magi. Hmm. Manny taught that there are two gods, one evil and one good. He taught Jesus came to reconcile man to Satan, Hmm. the dark god, 
but Jesus did not undergo punishment on the cross. He said, Satan is the God of Moses and the prophets. Man does not have free will, and some are born with their nature totally depraved, while others are born nearly perfect. Hmm. Manny said that he was the comforter and also the that which is perfect of 1 Corinthians 13.3. Manny taught that ve- vegetarianism, marriage, and having children are sins, and there is a purgatory for the purifying of souls. Wow. Marriage and children is, is sinful. Yeah. Now, just think about that for one minute. Like one second. What was yeah. like the first command when they left? <laughs> when they left the garden? I mean, it was even yeah, even be, before the even yeah, before yeah. when they first met each other. Right. Yeah. Be fruitful and multiply. multiply. Yeah. But yeah. that's a sin. And what did he? You know, after Noah, after right. the second reset. Re- yeah, like re- repopulate the repopulate, earth. Yeah. yeah. Have lots of babies. Get that sexy time going. <laughs> so, so the church listened to Manny and concluded that he was a heretic. Good. Thank you, church. Since Manny denied the scriptural, scriptural teachings of the free will of man, he could not be sinless and therefore not an emanation from God. Church father Archelaus recorded their decision. The judges concluded against Manny that man has free will. So if Manny can sin, his spirit cannot be an emanation from God. The angels and Satan are not of God's essence. Hmm. Manny continued to spread his message throughout all of Persia until a persecution began with the, from the followers of Zoroastrianism. Manny was in prison and died about 276 to 277 AD. After his death, Manichaeism spread as far as Rome. I think they're actually mentioned in Revelation, hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Probably. The teachings of the Man- Manichaeans or something yeah. like that. That's crazy. Want me to read? Sure. Okay. You know, just a little side note. Yeah. It, it must have sucked. He gets thrown in prison for persecution for his beliefs, but they're not even right. Right. That would suck. And then he dies. Yeah. Imagine facing the Lord. He's like, Manny, Manny, you didn't help me. You didn't. You didn't help me, Manny. <laughs> oh, you're not a god, Manny. All right, Augustine of Hippo. On November 13th, AD 354, a child was born who would become known as Augustine of Hippo. He grew up rather wild and rejected the things of God. After a time of seeing the results of his sin, he began his own unique journey into the world of religion and philosophy. After studying for quite a while, he joined the Manichaeans. Augustine remained loyal to the Gnostic cult for eight years. In a crisis of conscience, he left the Manichaeans and converted to Orthodox Christianity. Later, he wrote the book, the books entitled The City of God and Confessions, where he detailed from his life, his life from childhood up through his time of his conversion to Christianity. He revealed in these books his dedication to the scriptures and his belief in the free will of man. He repudiated all the teachings of the Manichaeans and the in the uh, Valentinian Gnostics, which would be the uh, Pelagian Gnostics. Augustine went on to become one of the church's most loved and successful debaters slash teachers, confronting heresy wherever he found it. Augustine recorded that Manny taught, unlike the world, man was created by demons. In the case of the elect, salvation takes place immediately after death. In the case of the adherents, who have not practiced the prescribed forms of asceticism, it takes place only after considerable torment in purgatory. 
In the case of the ordinary sensual man, there is no deliverance. So that was a little bit of Augustine's. Yeah. Uh, Augustine is still held in great regard, ironically, both by the Catholics and by the Calvinists. Yeah. And I would also say reading City of God and Confessions, they're awesome books. Yeah. They are good. They're good books. Yeah, for sure. But he's also done great harm. Yeah. <laughs> to the thing. Do you want me to keep reading? Sure. Uh, Pelagius of England. Pelagius was born in England about the same year as Augustine. Pelagius grew up and began traveling and teaching the scriptures to all who would listen. He became very well known in the in the British Isles. In AD 380, he moved to Rome and began publishing his ideas. Pelagius taught Adam's sin was no more than a bad example for his descendants. He taught Adam's original sin did nothing to taint his children. Therefore, we are all born sinless. If we are careful and never sin, we really do not need a Savior. As we have seen from the previous chapter in this part of the Basilian Gnosticism, this is part of Basilian Gnosticism. Yeah. All right. Augustine versus Pelagius. Do you want to pick up from there? Sure. Okay. When Augustine heard of Pelagius's doctrine being spread abroad, he began to debate the issue with all its adherents. Or not all of them, with its adherents. <laughs> Augustine had very little success in his debates, so he decided to go back and see how the Valentinian Gnostics gained their victories over the Pelagian Gnostics. He found that most of the time the Valentinians did this by focusing on the doctrine of predestination. The Gnostic version was based on the idea that a man's spirit was the emanation of a god and therefore incorruptible. This would not fit with Christianity, so he changed it a bit and came up with the idea that, it, that a Christian is predestined for salvation, not because of anything in himself, but, be God, but because God simply ordained it without any explanation. This had to be because mankind is totally depraved and unable to do anything in and of himself. Thus, the doctrines of predestination, total depravity, and bondage of the will were formed. It seems that in reaction to the Pelagian doctrine that, quote, man could be sinless from birth, Augustine went too far the other way. So what did the church think about this? The church looked at what was happening very carefully. The Council of Ephesus was called in 431 AD to settle the debate between Augustine and Pelagius. After much debate, the church concluded both Augustine and Pelagius <laughs> were wrong. That's awesome. Yeah. So Pelagianism was wrong because it taught man was free from sin at birth, which denied the doctrine of original sin, and one may not need a savior. August Augustinianism was wrong because it denied the free will of man and taught some men were predestined to salvation before birth, no matter what they did in life. After these conclusions, attempts were made to try to redefine the doctrines in such a way that the church would be pleased and would accept them. Thus came two semis. <laughs> Semi-Pelagianism tried to say that man cannot save himself entirely, but man can start the process of salvation, and then God enters in and does the rest of the work. This denied the doctrine that God started the process in each individual. Here's some scripture. No man can come to me except the Father, who which hath sent me draw him. <laughs> and I will raise him up on the last day. John 3, 644. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hold on one second. 
can I can I just read that? Yes, like yes, please, in please. like a normal language because we <laughs> we don't read the King James. Uh, no, not, we don't. Not, nothing against it. I love the King James, but it's hard. Six forty four. Here we go. And this is what it says. And I think I can almost quote it for you. Yeah. Um, uh, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up in, at the last day. Yeah. So no one come to the Father unless the Lord draws him. That's the Father. Perfect. And then the other semi is uh, semi-Augustinianism, mm -hmm. which was affirmed as the biblical doctrine because it taught total depravity in the sense that man is unable to be sinless due to his sin nature. But man has the ability to understand and accept the free gift of God. He can accept it based on his limited free will and by the grace of God. Semi-Augustinianism also denied the idea that some men were predestined for salvation. So the medieval church formally accepted semi-Augustinianism. Those who disagreed with the church formed the monastic set of Augustinianism. Augustinians. They kept their Augustinian views but swore allegiance and obedience to the church and the pope. This was acceptable for the time being. This ended the debate for close to 1,000 years until our man, John Calvin, arrived on the scene. Mm -hmm. So it's... Well, before we get into John sure. Calvin, I, I think it's pretty important to point out that some of the doctrines that are being laid out, so predestination, mm -hmm. uh, original sin, um, and then obviously they mentioned earlier the... Uh, amillennialism and mm -hmm. replacement theology, which those will come in in a little bit. Um, so you can see what the shape of the debate would be now, because we're, we're approaching the 1500s now when Calvin comes around. And so this all began, it really started back with the, the Egyptian Gnostics. Right. From 10 to 27, is that what it was? Yeah, 20 BC. Yeah. So, so we're, we're, we're talking pre-Christian mm -hmm. theology that was there saying that there was predestination, there was mm -hmm. elect, uh, there was purgatory. Right. And again, uh, when those people who were obviously pre-Christians are not Christians at all, I mean, we read through it. Mm -hmm. There is demons. It was Sophia. Yeah. Like there is always the yeah. demiurge. There was the... That's what's couched in the idea of, like, what does free will mean? The the predestination. Like, again, Augustine took it and took these Gnostic beliefs and made them fit into Christianity rather than taking Christianity and not changing that yeah. and seeing if something fits into it. And then if Christianity does not fit with it, disregarding that's right. the other thing rather than saying i'm going to take this belief and reshape it and reshape it, yeah. it based on you know christianese how can i make this into something that is coherent with christianity what i think was interesting too is that it talked about how augustine was losing debates right and so he goes back and he tries mm -hmm. to learn how did the how did the valentinian you know um gnostics debate and right. he started using their tactics but exactly. with a Christian, like as you were saying, like a facade of Christianity. Yeah. And I was going to say there's nothing necessarily wrong with going back and seeing. I mean, <laughs> obviously what we're doing it, by addressing something like the Hebrew roots move, 
tourism is something that the apostles dealt with. So right. there's nothing wrong with go, in and of itself going back and studying the tactics of someone that agrees with you on how to, you know, if you have something that has remained unchanged and is just in and out of a heresy that is always going to be flooding yeah. into the church, as we always say, the devil doesn't change his tactics, really. Right. He does the same thing. You know, he lies, he deceives. And uh, at the same time, these heresies that are today in the modern church, uh, the the flavor of them might be a little bit different. Meaning that, like, uh, I'm just going to pick some example. Uh, you have some megachurch pastor that's uh, just getting money. Give me money. I need a new Porsche. I need a Bentley. Like, God wants me to have a jet. A jet <laughs> right. right? So you have the greed that comes in some form. But it's the same thing they dealt with that in the early church. Yeah, Simon. Right, Simon exactly. Brilliant. So there, there was, you know, greed or trying to build up, you know, these even before – Christianity in Judaism in the Old Testament talks about you know not being you know rulers being unwise with the money and building all these things to yeah. themselves so it really is like the same uh tactic or the the same not tactic the same uh heresy or sin right that is there so there's nothing wrong in and of itself of going back to someone uh, who dealt with it back then to do it, but it's wrong to then bring an an evil belief, yeah, yeah. and shape it into that's his error. How can I, yeah, borrowing from his tactic of debate was not wrong, right? But using his theology was wrong, right? To it, to try and and it was probably stumping people, you know. Yeah. And a lot of people need to remember this too. The two the two most Within the church, the two most controversial and things that were constantly trying to pull pull the church out of orthodoxy was Judaizers, mm -hmm. those that were trying to pull people back into the law, and Gnostics. Right. Those are the two that are most spoken of in the New Testament. Like Paul was, Paul experienced both because being you know a Jew, mm -hmm. uh, you know he would go first to the Jews. He said, "I would go first to the." to the lost sheep of Israel, you know, Jesus said that too. Yeah. And, and so Paul would model his ministry going first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. But outside of the church, so you had Judaizers and Gnostics on the inside. On the outside, you had all of the pagan right. and, you know, the pagan stuff that was ungot against, mm -hmm. you know, like all, just all of the pagan stuff that the Roman Empire was entrenched in that came back from Greeks and Rome and all that stuff. Yeah. So, you know, the inside stuff was the stuff that was probably the most important at this point. Yeah. And and here we are. We're now at 1500, 1509 mm -hmm. to 1648. Yeah. And I, I just want to uh, kind of maybe a, a modern day clarification of something. I just had this idea that thought is what Augustine did by doing those, uh, the debating I would say would be the equivalent to like reading uh, about some history where it's like, oh, the Hindus and the Buddhists had this debate. Mm -hmm. And now there's this weird Hindu sect inside Christianity. Right. So I'm going to go read some Buddhist and see how they debated against the Hindus, except now I'm bringing the Buddhist teachings and making it into the Christian to 
to uh, debate against the Hindus, yeah, to right? Win the debate. Rather than saying, <clears throat> "Oh, what did the Buddhists? Uh, what can? What points were they going at against the Hindus?" So it's much in the same way of how we started off this podcast by saying there's a difference between equipping people that they already uh, with knowledge that can help um, within the strengthen camp. them, right? Yeah. Within the camp versus like attacking someone else, right? So it's okay to do kind of the opposite is reading just attacks to learn how, Oh, here's uh, these inconsistent viewpoints in this other religion that I can take as a Christian. Cause it still applies to Christianity and use that to attack my, or to, to debate. debate. Yeah. Right, yeah. Not attack <laughs> to debate. Yeah. Um, it's the, again, the bad part is taking that other thing and trying to bring it into yeah. the yeah. belief. Yeah. So, I mean, the long short of it is Augustine was a complete heretic. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, do you want me to? Sure. Okay. During the thousand years between Augustine and John Calvin, Roman, Catholic, Roman Catholicism, as we know it, had risen to power over all of Europe and Asia. In AD 1054, the Eastern Church broke with Rome over what was called the, the, in, the iconoclastic controversy. In which Rome declared its right to rule over all of Christianity and forced all churches to use icons or idols, which is forbidden in Scripture. But Rome maintained full control over Europe while the Eastern Orthodox Church ruled in the East. Um, that's, a lot of people don't realize that was a massive, massive controversy about the use of icons. You know, and if you don't know what an icon is, if you're, if you're a Protestant, never been in a Catholic right. church or an Orthodox church, um, they would erect paintings or um, statues, and they would be of saints or individuals in the Bible um, to help, really, I think it started off was to help tell a story, tell the story of the mm -hmm. gospel or of Elijah or whoever, of Mary, you know, and it ended up being where they would pray to them mm -hmm. and pray to these saints, and it became, that. that's what it... You, kind of evolved into. It's idolatry. It is idolatry, yeah. 100%, yeah. yeah. The interdict. One tool Rome used to maintain control over the use of the Roman Catholic interdict, of if the Pope of Rome did not like something a king or country was doing it and ordered it to stop, and if that king refused, the Pope would then place an interdict on the uh, over that country, effectively excommunicating everyone in the whole nation. The people believed that everyone who died while in that country was under this interdict would instantly go to hell. As a result, the people rose up and killed the king and replaced him with the one who had the Pope's blessing before anyone died. The people were tired of seeing all the corruption in the Roman Catholic Church and paying in exorbitantly high tithes to the kings and popes, but they were more afraid the Pope would send them to hell. That's really interesting. Um, John Calvin was born on July 10th, 10, 1509, in Nyon, France. Calvin became a humanist lawyer and eventually broke from the Roman Catholic Church around 1530. He had to flee for his life from his home in France to Switzerland. Calvin used his skill in law to find his, historical documents that might legally weaken Romans' hold on the people. He found nothing until he went all the way back to the writings of Augustine. He understood that if he could remove the un, the unpalatable Gnostic doctrines from his from the writings of Augustine, 
the Manchians, Valentinian Gnostics, and just used their idea of predestination, he would destroy the Pope's hold on the people. The Pope of Rome could not send anyone to hell or ensure their salvation if they were already predestined for heaven or hell, especially if that predestination could never be changed. Calvin published his first edition of the Institutes of the Christian Religion in A.D. 1536. This spawned the Protestant Reformation. John Calvin passed away in Geneva, Switzerland on May 27, 1564, at the age of 54. That's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, What's really interesting to me is that this hanging on through the Gnostics and the early church and then now into the Catholic, you know, into the Reformation— is the still the use of predestination. Yeah. The Gnostics used it to prove themselves to be right mm-hmm. and say, oh, we're a Gnostic, but we're predestined, so we can't go to hell. We can live any way we want in licentious lifestyle. The John Calvin uses it to show that the popes don't have ultimate authority over someone because they're predestined regardless of what the pope says right. before he can make any declaration on them going to hell, heaven or hell. What blows me away is they never search the scriptures for any of this. Yeah. Like, where's the, where's the scripture about the hierarchy or the laity of the church or the authority of of the pastors? Like Timothy Titus give a pretty clear, you know, um, definition of what the requirements of a an elder mm-hmm. or a deacon. Um, where why weren't they going after? Why wouldn't he go after those things? I mean, I guess they were had a claim that they that they were that the you know the catholic church probably had a claim that they were uh, fulfilling those things mm. and so that this is part of their authority or something like that yeah yeah i mean they they do uh because <laughs> it's like we're a, getting into a whole uh, i'm not problems with roman Catholicism, right. but yeah because from peter right they had the secession mm-hmm. of the authority and peter was the one who ananias and sapphira he like basically said oh you're lying you're dead and they died right there right which is a pretty amazing story in the book of acts but so i can see why there would be fear and if they were holding that authority over people yeah i mean it, we're starting to get into some of the uh, seeing the problems with, uh, actually, I need to watch my words of how I say it because I was going to say something that I don't actually mean. Okay. Um, I was going to say you see the problem with, uh, I'll say it like this. We're starting to see the problem of using the government mm-hmm. to influence how the church acts. Yeah. Rather than <clears throat> using, because I am pro having a government based on the church or uh, not the church as in uh the church the, leading the catholic but i mean like yeah a, a explicitly christian nation like you know using uh the laws of christianity you know yeah. or not the laws laws based on the christianity ten, the tenets uh, the, of faith yeah right exactly like having a explicitly faithful based government that upholds Christian values upholds these kinds of things rather than the opposite way happening, which is what happens so much with the Rome and uh, the Roman church, Catholicism, because it essentially, like, it was the government. Right. It was the power. Even well, though it wasn't, at the same time, when you have the Pope, who is supposed to be the you know the head of a religious institution, see, that's what he's saying is, well... 
you know, I can't necessarily overthrow this king because that'll be getting into politics and I might be taking sides with, you know, that king's enemies, you know, as a nation. And I don't want to do that. But, you know, I'm going to sow the seeds that cause the outcome that's going to happen. You know, so they can get away with this kind of, you know, la-di-da. He would make like some kind of edict. Right, the edict is to say is having the people do it and then just having the outcome perceived. But right. it's this kind of uh, delusional – and I mean the whole thing is I'm kind of making it sound like the Pope didn't – those Popes didn't actually know what they were doing. Oh, no. I mean they did. 100%. Like, so what you, but they're just trying to have like some plausible deniability by saying, well, the church didn't overthrow him. The people rose up and overthrew. Right, yeah, yeah. We just happened to say that if they don't do that and they die, they're it's all going to so, go to hell. It's so conniving, dude. It's like a, it's such like loopholeism, and it is. And and you know, any you talk to honest Catholics, they will be the first to admit that they they know that there were bad popes. Yes, they 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 don't hide that. Like, mm. which I, I applaud them for that. Yeah, most like this current pope. Right. All of my Catholic friends Super are yeah. very anti this current pope. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is a whole other thing of, well, I always say, well, there's another. Sounds like you need to reform a little bit if you have all these <laughs> issues with the Catholic Church, don't you? And they're like, oh, shut up. We don't say that. Don't say that. <laughs> we don't say that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So we talked about Calvin. Let's go into uh, t- what it talks about Tulip. All right. Using only the Gnostic ideas affirming predestination and denying the free will of man. So just based on those two ideas, Calvin began to develop his theology by inserting these concepts into the scriptures. What he came up with was the system of thought conveyed by the acronym TULIP, T-U-L-I-P. The TULIP flower became one of the symbols of Calvinism that is still seen today. TULIP stands for Total Depravity, Unconditional Election, Limited Atonement, Irresistible Grace, and Perseverance of the Saints. In the Calvinist mind, this means God cannot place a condition on man for salvation, like repenting of their sins and accepting Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, because man is so totally depraved that he is not capable of mentally accepting God's gift of salvation. Calvinists teach God must use an irresistible grace to force only those he wants to be saved into a saving relationship. Since it is unconditional, they cannot refuse at any time. Therefore, they cannot lose their salvation. This was the key to loosening the hold the Pope had on the people. One of the whole countries became, one by one, whole countries became Protestant Calvinists. Calvinism was so successful and spread so quickly that it started what was called the Thirty Years' War, a war fought from 1618 to 1648 between Roman Catholics and Calvinistic Protestants. It was finally ended by a treaty, the Peace of Westphalia, on October 24th, 1648. Hmm. I'll keep going. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it says, let's take a break from history and make sure we see what this history points to. Suppose we are all Orthodox Baptists, and I was a pastor of a Baptist church. As I begin to read literature from the Jehovah's Witnesses cult, I reject all of their doctrine except the idea that having a blood transfusion is a sin. I know they are a cult, but I feel very strongly about about that one issue of blood transfusions. So I present it to my denomination, and they reject it and me. (laughs) I leave the denomination for my own denomination called the Blood 
Baptists. <laughs> After a hundred years or so, people would completely forget why the denomination was called Blood Baptists. They might say, I guess it's because they focus on the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The denomination might even end up throwing out the doctrine of blood transfusions, in which case they would become normal everyday Baptists with a different name. The point is this. Modern-day Calvinists are Christians. They are not agnostic cult. But anyone can see, since the scriptures do not teach Calvinism, their doctrine is based on a known cult, and this false doctrine should be silenced. Hmm. That's, you should read that again. Okay. Modern-day Calvinists are Christians. They are not a Gnostic cult. But anyone can see, since the scriptures do not teach Calvinism, their doctrine is based on a known cult, and this false doctrine should be silenced. Sweet. So, that's There we go. Yeah. I like that example that he gives. Yeah, that's cool. The blood so, Baptist. Yeah. Uh, Sounds like, like a Christian like metal, metal band. band. Yeah, the blood Baptist. <laughs> um, so it says, we can see that before Augustine, Calvinism was not found in the church. Calvinistic doctrine was always condemned as Gnosticism and heresy. If you go back through Augustine, Hippolytus, Clement and Tertullian, Justin Martyr, and Irenaeus, you can find that. Irenaeus, Irenaeus stated that he was taught directly by Polycarp, who spent over 20 years with the Apostle John in ministry, planting churches, and fighting against the ancient Gnostics. He occasionally saw the Apostle Paul himself. John. John, right, exactly. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. He occasionally saw the Apostle John himself. A Calvinist will state that he wants to talk about the scriptures only, then will appeal to Calvin and Augustine. When I appeal to all of the church ancient church fathers, they will usually avoid the subject completely. However, once a Calvinist told me that it is true that the church was Arminian from AD 150s and onward, but that just means the church was corrupted shortly after the death of the Apostle John. He went on to say that since John did not correct any Calvinism when he wrote about the heretics of the seven churches in Revelation 2-3, to and there is no comment about Calvinism from that time until the, about the AD 150s, that proves that the early church was Calvinistic and there was some form of unrecorded corruption in the church between John's death and Irenaeus. So this is uh, a logical fallacy. Yeah. It's uh, it basically, uh, I'm so bad with the name of uh, coming up with uh, the argument from silence, basically. And it's not a good argument. It's the same thing that, like, well, Jesus didn't specifically talk about, uh, you know, uh, iPads. So are iPads good or bad? Oh, they must be good because Jesus didn't condemn it. So I can do all this. So it's used as, like, especially in the church and especially according to Jesus because they always say, well, Jesus didn't specifically say something about this. Right. And because – and here's the thing. Because Jesus did not speak about this, that must mean he is affirming it and he's not talking against it. Yeah. It's dumb, you know? Yeah. So, if no one made any comment for or against Calvinism until 
the 150s, then we should conclude that the church was never Calvinist. It would be insane to conclude that it was corrupted by some unknown force, and then the whole controversy was never recorded by anyone anywhere. Rather, we should look for evidence that the Apostle John or others during his lifetime did in fact make comments about the Calvinistic Gnostics. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. So let's talk about the Apostle John. Uh, it says, the Calvinistic Gnostics believed that the Calvinistic form of predestination and that you could not know for sure if you were truly saved until you died. John corrected this Gnostic thought by saying, you can know you currently have eternal life in 1 John 5.13, 2.25, and 4.17. So Apostle John actually did address that. Right. John also corrected many other Gnostic thoughts in his epistles, such as Jesus died for the sins of the world, not just certain people, 1 John 2.2. You must continue to believe the gospel the way John taught it and to remain saved, 2 John 9. Christians cannot practice sin, 1 John uh, 3.6.9 and 5.18. Follow John's gospel, not the Gnostic one, 1 John 4.6. <laughs> Jesus' sacrifice is the only way of salvation, not that you were born saved that saved the way the Gnostics believe in 1 John 4.10 and 14. These are just a few of Calvinistic Gnostic points, a few Calvinistic points covered by the Apostle John. We could go on and show from Titus, 1 and 2 Timothy, and Jude the same points and more. See my book, The Ancient Epistles of John and Jude, and oh, that's not his. I'm sorry. <laughs> See, ancient epistles of John and Jude and the apostles versus the Gnostics uh, for more information. Yeah, it's another book. So, um, yeah, that's cool. So we so that's covers Calvin, mm -hmm. and it is interesting. So if you're, I would not encourage you if you are not a Calvinist to use those verses against your Calvinist friends. Uh, that are trying to, that you guys would debate about, you know, uh, Calvinism, free will, sovereignty of God, whatever. Uh, I would not use them in that way. That is not what the intention was of the scriptures or with John. He was simply refuting the Gnostic beliefs, right. which have eked into Calvinistic beliefs right. by way of Augustine first. Yeah. So we need to point that out. And then, and then eventually Calvin went back and borrowed from Augustine. Right. And then... You have this man by the name of Jacob Arminius. Uh, do you want me to keep reading? Sure, or? yeah. Jacob Arminius was born October 10th, 1560 in Oudwater, Netherlands. In his studies of the scriptures, he realized the Roman Catholic doctrines that the Pope could send people to hell and could command people to, to sin by venerating idols were, as Paul would put it, uh, demonic doctrines. Arminius was trained in the re Reformed tra tradition but while he was a pastor in Amsterdam, he started to question the way the followers of John Calvin were beginning to teach sovereign grace. He also realized that Calvinism was going too far with some of its other doctrines. If we are predestined for salvation before we are born and cannot lose that salvation, then sin is irrelevant. Why would Paul teach us to avoid sin at all costs if everyone's fate was already sealed? So Arminius began to investigate church history. He went back to Augustine and Pelagius and found that their ties to Manchian and Val Valentinian and Bal Balsillian Gnostics, 
I am terrible with these words. He left his pastorate to take a new position as a professor of theology at the University of Leiden during the time he developed a series of lectures about election and predestination. Um, so, uh, you want me to keep reading? Or do you want to read? Sure, I can read. Okay. So, we're uh, at this point, it's going to start talking about... Um, we're going to get into a lot of uh, starting to talk uh, uh, theology. We're starting to get into the theology, yeah. moving away from the history. Um, Ar- Arminian, Arminius knew that the modern Calvinists seemed to use mostly the Book of Romans to try to prove their doctrines. So he wondered if the ancient church fathers had experienced th- that issue before. He did an intensive study of the Book of Romans and concluded that what we call hyper-Calvinism was an ancient Gnostic error. He found the story of another Gnostic heretic named Marcion from the writings of the ancient church fathers. Marcion taught that the God of the Old Testament and his prophets were evil and will be destroyed. He taught God is the author of sin and that there were two equal and opposite gods, one evil and one good, and that the law and the gospels being so against each other proves two different gods. Hmm. He removed references in his gospel that taught Christ was the creator. Marcin rejected the entire Old Testament and used the Gospel of Luke in his teachings, but eliminated the first four chapters and removed all references to Jesus' divinity or any connection with the God of the Old Testament. His canon of scripture contained Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, Philemon, and Laodicean. Laodiceans. Laodiceans. Thanks. All of these were tailored to fit Marcion's teachings. In Paul's epistles, he removed all references to God creating the world. So in all of the books that Paul wrote, Marcion removed all references to God creating the world and to Jesus being God's son and any predictions of Jesus' birth. He said Jesus was a phantom having no physical body. Marcion forbade marriage and said it was evil. Married people could not be baptized unless they first got a divorce and practiced celibacy. Good night. It was well known that Marcion tried to publish a gospel he wrote himself in the name of Paul. The church fathers corrected the Calvinistic Gnostic elements from Marcion's commentary on Romans this way. So there's a lot there about Romans. Yeah. One, two, three, four, seven, eight, nine. Okay. You okay with that? Yeah, we can, we can, keep, we can keep walking through. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, okay. Romans one, heretics taught that God blinds the minds of those He did does not want to save, as non predestined for salvation. In contrast, the church fathers stated Romans one meant something completely differently. God only blinds the minds of those who choose not to believe Him and have already rejected Him. In Romans, those who would not retain God in their knowledge, he gave over to a reprobate mind. In 2 Thessalonians, to those who would not receive the love of the truth, a strong delusion was sent to believe the lie. God knows the numbers of those who will not believe, since he foreknows all things and has given themselves over to unbelief. Okay. I'll keep going. Yeah, yeah. Or, go ahead. Romans 2. We'll just go back and forth on the Romans. Those who reject God and follow evil are judged, but those who accept God's gift and continue to follow righteousness receive salvation. 
uh, Irenaeus says this, Man has the ability to distinguish good from evil. He has the power by his own free will to perform God's commandments. This is taught in Romans chapter 2. God does not compel people to salvation, so those who have apostatized have done so through their own fault. God allows them allows them to blind themselves. The ability to freely choose salvation is a gift given by God. True faith produces repentance. Clement of Alexandria. The Gentiles, without the law, are a law unto themselves, refers to the church. Clement of Alexandria. Romans 3. This is the, and when we're reading these, just for clarification, the first part yeah. is what the, the, the heretic. Gnostic heresy is. Yeah. So the Gnostic heresy from interpretation of Romans 3 is that the Jews invented systems within the Mosaic law and became just as corrupt and blind. Irenaeus says, Paul in Romans 3, 10 through 18, refers to those Jews and Gentiles who blind themselves. No one is born this way. He also wrote, Man was not created perfect. Men who try to perfect themselves invent gods or systems, then become trapped in those systems they invent, never coming to the complete knowledge of the one true God. The apostle teaches every group of man, pagan, Gentile, and Jewish, became entangled in the systems that they had. Hmm. I like that. Romans 7, against the Pelagian Gnostic system, the church fathers taught this. It is not possible to be completely sinless. Christian perfection is the attitude of striving to be more like Christ. Secondly, those who have spiritual gift, a spiritual gift are said to be perfect in that gift. Prophecies are 100% accurate and healings are permanent. No one is perfect in all. Clement of Alexandria uh, quotes Paul in Romans quotes Paul in Romans 7, he sins not by choice, but because of his frailty. If you indeed do not sin, it is because you are free from this body. Lactanius from the Divine Institutes. Romans 8, the heresy is the idea that each person is predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ, and those who are not predestined are to be damned, is the incorrect doctrine. This is what the church fathers said. This is both Irenaeus. The church is being predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ and quicken your mortal bodies refers to the physical resurrection. The physical resurrection. There we go. All right. Uh, Romans 9. Marcion tried to use Paul's comment about God hardening Pharaoh's heart to prove double predestination. The church fathers understood Paul to mean God hardened Pharaoh's heart because God foreknew Pharaoh would never repent. Irenaeus says this, God made man a free agent from the beginning. This is the ancient law of human liberty, for there is no coercion with God. In man, as well as in angels, he has placed the power of choice. The Gnostic teaching that some men are born good and others born bad is wrong. Everyone has the power to reject the gospel. God has free will, and we do too, because we are made in his image. God preserved the will of man free and under his own control. We will be brought into perfection in the resurrection. So Love it. That's his response to that. Yeah. Yeah. So we will uh, start going into Arminianism. Yeah. 
Under Jacob Arminianus's teachings, Protestants began to hold to semi-Augustinianism. <laughs> I'm so bad with that one in particular. I keep thinking of uh, anti-disestablishmentarianism. Oh, like, <laughs> just this old word, supercalifragilistic, yeah. whatever it is. Expialidocious, yeah. yeah. Uh, each man is born with, with a sin nature that which causes him to sin. This destines him to be, spend eternity without God in hell. Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for the sins of every human being who ever lived and gave each and every person the ability to accept or reject his free gift. The body of Christ is pre the body of Christ is predestined to be saved. Hmm. No other religion can obtain salvation. And those who accept the free gift, choosing to become part of the, the body of Christ, are granted eternal life. After his death in 1609, his followers developed the Remonstrance of 1610, which outlined the five points of Arminianism. This is how they can be summed up. One, free will. Man can do nothing to save himself, but has the free will to accept God's free gift of salvation. Two, conditional election. The body of Christ is predestined for salvation. No other religion can offer salvation. An individual is saved on the condition that he accepts Jesus as Messiah. Salvation is based on God's foreknowledge of those who would freely accept the gift and become a member of the body of Christ. Three, universal atonement. Christ's death is universal in that it paid for the sins of every single person. Not that all people would be saved. Mm. Each person must exercise his free will and accept the gift. Four, obstructible grace. God wants all men to be saved and the Holy Spirit will draw or woo people, but each person can resist the call and damn himself. And five, falling from grace. Just as it is, just as it is possible to resist God's grace, God's call of grace and refuse to be saved in the first place, it is also possible to be a true Christian and then walk away from your salvation and be damned. And uh, just want to say that is just because it, we we did an episode on mediate theology. Yeah. Of coming in, in between uh, early on. Yeah. So just because the way that this book sets it up as, uh, again, in the, in but this the, is what Arminians believe. Right, right, Arminianists. Yeah. So just because we may not believe what the Calvinists, Calvinism, because we, obviously we just took, spent an hour yeah. going through all the Gnostic beliefs of Calvinism, does not 100, we are not saying because those are, you know, Gnostic heresies that this is what you should believe in all the cases. Right. So I just wanted to lay that clear. Yeah, because I actually don't agree with falling from grace. Right, I I, I think so, too. Yeah. I, I agree with you. That's what I meant to say. Yeah. All the other things I'm okay with, I yeah. don't have a problem with necessarily. Yeah. So, okay. Want to take over? Um, yeah. Do we want to hit uh, the Hasidic Jew, Hasidic Judaism and Kabbalah? Uh, it's one paragraph. I'll just read it. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Go, <laughs> go for the section. Orthodox Judaism is devoted to the Torah, the Old Testament, and is awaiting the, the Messiah. They reject the doctrine of predestination and affirm the free will of mankind. A break off of Orthodox Judaism is Hasidic Judaism. The founder of Hasidism is, was Israel ben Elizer, and is known as Baal Shem Tov. He lived between A.D. 1698 and A.D. 1760. The Hasidics teach a form of Jewish mysticism focusing on the Kabbalah, and you might recognize Hasidic Jews uh, when you go to Israel. They're the ones that have all of the 
long um locks yeah the long locks and stuff like that um then it says here uh, uh, uh the kabbalah is a mystical set of doctrines supposedly designed to lead one into a union with god the primary work of kabbalah is a book called the zohar uh, one of the major doctrines taught in the Zohar is the doctrine of em emanations. This is the same idea we learned in the first chapter that the Gnostics taught. The Gnostic idea is that God placed a piece of himself in each person. Each of us is, in a sense, God. Hence, we will make it back to union with the divine. We are predestined for this event. The process is made much quicker if we follow the precepts taught in the Kabbalistic literature, the Chabad. Uh, is a break off of Hasidic Judaism. They are mystical and all also deny the doctrine of free will. So we will see that in almost every case, the idea of not having free will and being predestined to heaven or hell comes from the Gnostic cults of the first century. Love it. Yeah. So you want to just wrap it up there? Yeah, we can, we can stop it there if you want. Sure. Um, so, I mean, I think what's really interesting to me is, um, is that most of the, uh, it's funny how this goes backwards. And like, like when we, when we, Augustine is the, is kind of the hinge, uh, to me. And I, I see like the Gnost, the Egyptian Gnosticism flowing down through history. And then the two branches of, of, uh, you know, the Basilian and, the Valentinian, Valentinian yeah. you know, Gnostics, and then how uh, Augustine is saved out of Gnosticism, mm -hmm. which is important to know. He was a Gnostic for eight years. Yeah. So he understood their theology. He understood what they believed. He believed what they believed. He becomes a Christian, Orthodox, and then wants to, you know, really convert Gnostics to the true faith. Yeah. And I, I just want to jump in here. And I'm not throwing anyone under the bus, he's very open about this, but our, our good friend John Brisson yeah. openly has said that, you know, he was a Gnostic. He believed, you know, in the Gnosticism, and then he got saved and became a full-on Christian. Yeah. A great, he's great man of Christ. In the footsteps of Augustine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Except John is the first one to always warn us of, that's a Gnostic thing. Yeah. Watch out for that. Or, you know, we go to him and ask him questions about Gnosticism. And I just wanted to say that just because someone comes out of Gnosticism, obviously, right. I'm pointing out an example of John went the opposite way. He didn't try to bring Gnostic teachings into the church. He got saved and rejected it. Yeah. So. And, and theology was like what you have to understand in church right. history, man, like theology was still being worked out. Yeah. Like they were debating in these councils and right. stuff. And, and these were debates that were happening as trying to figure out what, what did Paul mean when he wrote this? What did right. John mean when he wrote, what did Jesus mean? And kind of like they were like, when you talk to people about like the, like so, a lot of people, blah, 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 blah. A lot of people, <laughs> Um, er erroneously believe that like the Council of Nicaea was when all the Bible was established. Like, oh, we decided then this is, these are the books of the Bible. Um, and they don't realize that it was like literally 400 years leading up to that that established the books that were being used regularly within the churches by the, by the bishops and by the pastors 
uh, when they were teaching on Sundays. Yeah. And they realized when they came together, like, oh, yeah, I use the four Gospels, and I use Paul's letters. And there were other letters that are not included in the canon that um, that were useful. Mm-hmm. And a lot of churches still continue to read them and teach them to their churches. Yeah. But they weren't included in what would become the canon of Scripture. Yeah, and if I remember correctly, I wasn't expecting to talk about this, but it was a political thing that I'm pretty sure it was under Constantine. He said, "Hey, look, guys, we need one Bible. We we want I want one thing. You know, when he became a Christian and yeah, spread." That is, hey, let's have one Bible so that we can have this is once kind of once and for all, put it together. We have an official thing because these people are using the you know, these letters yeah. and not these letters, but it's you know and you go and ask these people, why are you not using that one? Well, because everything we have is in these. So we're not yeah. saying you know, so you have all these people of And Paul said that. He's like some right. follow Paul, some follow Apollos, I follow Christ. Right. You know. Yeah. Um but yeah, there there isn't some like that's not even a you know some evil thing that they were trying to right, you know right. leave out of this. But um, yeah, but I, I believe that even in that oh is yeah. that God's hand was was over all Absolutely. of that so that we would end up with the sixty six books we have and that I would you know that well <laughs> actually they had more books because they, they did had, and then when the Protestants came in we. Chucked a bunch, yeah. Threw out a, a bunch, right? Um, but I, I mean, I still think God's right. hand oh, yeah, is yeah, yeah, over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even that, I yeah, think yeah. God's hand was over. You know? Absolutely, yeah. I, I totally agree. I wasn't trying to yeah, make yeah. a counterpoint. Um, I just don't want someone to hear. Well, they didn't have sixty-six books in the Council right. of Nicaea. Yeah. And at the same point, I made um, just in vain of what you were talking about. That I've made it here before. I heard it. Some Bible scholar talking about it, and it really just gave me a a different sense of viewing things like what you're talking about. These were things that were hashed out over hundreds of years of debating, of trying to figure it out. And basically he said, you know, you, you have these letters that they're, and, the, and they did have teachings, but it is trying to figure out how does this play into, you know, what is it? What, when Paul says this, what does that mean? Right. How does it, what does it actually mean? And so you would have these people like, uh, I'm just the one I can think of is Arian, right? Who came up with Arianism, which is a heresy. Yeah. Not like that. And I'm not trying to make him off. I'll pick up someone else. Uh, Church father, uh, Bluto. All right. So he comes up with something to try to figure out this, this, this doctrine doesn't make sense to me. How can I come up with some way that I can explain it to someone else? And so Bluto comes up with Blutonism or whatever to explain some doctrine out of a sincere desire to wrestle with something that doesn't yeah. make sense. Yeah. And then the church, and then he teaches it and some people pick it up and they start teaching it and then it gets too far and the church is like, okay, this is a big, Blut- Blutoism is an issue because we totally in- interpret it differently. And right. then they're like, we need to you know, have a council it. against it. So it isn't all like these, uh, all of these heresies, these major heresies all throughout history, which of which there are tons of heresies. Right, right. Um, they are all, they're not all out of some desire to like destroy the church. Sometimes they were coming up, some guy interpreting something that seemed to make sense 
and uh oh, it's heresy. Right. That's how yeah, a lot he didn't of it even was. Know. It was right because he may not have known another doctrine that had already right. been worked out because they didn't have the internet, they right. didn't have cell phones, they didn't have ease of communication. Right. The way we do now. Right. So. But it's just amazing to me how God preserves mm-hmm. his truth. Right. Through all of these people in all of these eras. Yeah. And it's still the gospel, the pure gospel. Right. You can only be saved through Jesus Christ. Right. Confess with your tongue, believe in your heart, and you will be saved. Romans 10. It's that simple. Right. You know? I mean, that's so wonderful. We were just talking, uh, not to go into any more of the story, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about when I'm referencing this. We were talking, and there is a story of literally just saying the God, like the gospel is enough. Exactly what you just said. Yeah. That Jesus Christ is Lord. You are sinful. He died on the cross for your sins. He died, rose again. He defeated death. And in that, if you place your trust in him, you'll be saved. You get to be with him. Right. If anyone can articulate that, even if you, you don't have to have a PhD or master di- doctor of divinity to give that very quick little gospel that encapsulates everything and at the great, the, the biggest point about this predestination or whatever, it's for the Holy Spirit to, yeah. like, if that's all you can articulate to someone, and if they keep asking you these questions where they're like, well, what about Saturn worship and all blah, 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 and like, you know, the, the, the pee-pee-poo-poo god of the poo-poo dynasty or whatever, <laughs> you know, if they start coming at these with you, and if you don't have an answer other than, I don't know, I just know that Christ is Lord. And you need to place your trust in him and you need to be saved. Right. And if that's the only argument, he may, the person may be like, well, you're not, you're so dumb. The whole point is that gospel, just saying that truth is enough to defeat any argument. Yep. And our job is to not, isn't to win debates. Right. It's simply to spread the gospel and let the Holy Spirit do it. Yep. It's it's not our job to save that's right. anyone. That's right. That's what I was trying to get. At. Yeah, no, that's perfect. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. It's the Lord that does the work. Yeah. Oh, I also just want to say before we wrap up, by me pointing out that thing about the heresy, I'm not giving I'm not saying you should go practice heresy or come up right. with new stuff. Right. I'm just trying to give a frame of reference that because obviously there are tons of heresies that crept into the church yeah, yeah. that were deliberate to destroy it. Like Hebrew roots right now, right? Like well, all Gnosticism, Gnosticism they, still, yeah, because they were unwilling to repent, right? So there is a difference between, yeah, you know, that's what I was just trying to say. <laughs> like I like what R.L. said that R.L. Solberg said, uh, "How much heresy keeps me out of heaven?" Right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> we yeah. all have a little bit of heresy. Yeah. We all do. We all have some belief that is not in perfect line with God's doctrine. Right. Somewhere. Somewhere, somehow. Somewhere. You know? And so, uh, anyways, and and may we all just, by the grace of God, through the blood of Christ, get to heaven. Yeah. And then we won't have to worry about it. Amen. So, well, it's been good. It's been long. Yeah. This is a long, oh, hour and 46 minutes. So, we should probably let our listeners go. Uh, thanks for hanging in there. Yeah. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Yeah. Oh, and to all our Calvinist <laughs> brothers and sisters. Yes. We love you. We love you. Yeah. We're not calling you heretics. I'm, I've said it many times. I love systematic theology and Calvinists that developed it, Reformed theologians that developed yeah. systematic theology. Have, what a great gift. I uh, love Johnny Mac. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. And well, I love all of you. Yes. We'll catch you next time.
Thanks for listening to the All Out War podcast today. If you had a blast, then we'd love to have you back for another episode. So please subscribe and leave a review. We love to hear from you. You can also follow us on Instagram at All Out War Podcast or on Twitter at AOWcast. These episodes are also available on YouTube unless they contain a little too much truth. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time.